Good morning, Riverbend. Andrew here. So glad that you made it. We are so excited to have another teaching from the scriptures this morning. Um, Why don't you open with me to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to get started uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we just want to say, first and foremost, we love you, and we thank you so much that you have come close to us in the person of Jesus. We thank you that we have forgiveness of sin. We have life in you. God, we are so eager for today, and we really long for you to speak. We're finding ourselves in a desperate place where we really need to hear from you today. And so God, we just pray that you would use my words, you would use this this scripture uh, as we study it together to really illuminate your heart to us, God. We wanna know your heart and we wanna practice your way. So um, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, um, here we are. It's actually the end of May, beginning of June 2020, and restrictions around the coronavirus in the state of Oregon are just beginning to be lifted, and things are slowly, gradually, cautiously maybe coming back to normal. And so um, as we have been sort of dreaming and praying forward as a church, we've been sort of asking ourselves the question, how will the church be remembered in this time? This is such an important moment in the life of our church and in our city, in our world. And we, we want to press into that question, like how is the church gonna be remembered? And we've been, as a team, as a leadership team, elder team, been asking that question and really pressing into the scriptures and what does the scripture have to say? And by the way, there's, I don't know about you, but um, we're feeling all kinds of pressure all over the place. There's so many different ideas that, that people have, people have concerns, people have questions, and maybe you're feeling a little bit of that too, like what does the future hold? What's around the corner? And I think we can all say with certainty that we don't exactly know what the future holds, but there are some things from the scripture that we can um, take as what I want to call just a guiding principle. And so as I've been talking with our team over the last several weeks, um, again, we don't know what's around the corner necessarily, but what we do know is that there is this guiding principle that Jesus teaches us to love our neighbors. So Jesus famously said it like this, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love the simplicity of that statement, and I love that that's what we're supposed to be known for. Here's how people can tell that you follow Jesus, that you have this abiding love for him and for, for other people. And I believe that, that, that Jesus has given you this spirit of love and power and a sound mind. I don't believe that we've been given a spirit of fear or anxiety or insecurity. He's given you his Holy Spirit of love, meaning that I, I genuinely believe this. You are a gift to your neighbor. You're a gift to our church, this community, and you're a gift to our world. So today, the plan is to look at this as like a guiding principle. What if we looked at all of the decisions that we make in the next weeks and months as Oregon reopens through this guiding principle of love uh, for our neighbor? So um, here's what we want to do. We're going to talk about first God's love for us. Next, his love for everyone else, and then finally, how we begin to step into his project for just loving the whole world. And um, I think this is a really, obviously, important moment for us to be posing this question and living into it in practice. So um, we're looking at several scriptures. The first one we're going to look at is what is known uh, by Jesus as the the greatest command from Luke chapter 10, Uh, and we're picking it up in verse 25. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up 
to test Jesus. And Jesus asked, or teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. All right, so if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, hopefully this is a very familiar scripture to you. And if you're new to the story of the Bible, that's totally okay. Super glad that you're here. This is a common repeated phrase throughout the entire story of the Bible. Um, each of the four Gospels, 1 John, Romans 13, and dozens of others. And the first place that this uh, command or this word comes from is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a part of the Torah, which is the law that Jesus is referring to when he's speaking to the man in this story who stood up to test Jesus. So Deuteronomy 6 is known in Judaism as the great Shema. Now, Shema in the Hebrew um, is this just this word that means hear or listen. And the Jews would pray the Shema every single morning and every single evening. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. So there you go. If you want to live in relationship with God, this line defines your existence. You love him with everything that you are from the very like fabric of your being. And the man in this story had that prayer down pat. Like he had a very like neatly ordered theology. He recited the Shema every morning and every evening, twice a day. He knew that loving a God was just the one side of the coin and that the other side of the coin was loving your neighbor as yourself. And of course, this was really common come Jesus's teaching. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount. But the Torah's much more subtle than that. And so Jesus gives this guy a thumbs up and says, A plus, you got it right. Like that is exactly it. Love God and love all others with everything that you are. But let's keep reading. Verse 29. But he, being the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So love, love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? All right, this is where the story sort of takes a turn. And we already know from verse 25 that this man was not actually following after Jesus. He was stepping up to ask Jesus questions in order to test him, right? He, uh, that's what he was interested, interested in. But now we're getting an even bigger insight into his motivation. He just wants to be right. Or in verse 29, he just wants his behavior to be completely justified. And so he's asking who his neighbor is, right? Jesus' response, it cuts to the straight to the heart, all the way through the religious jargon. And the whole point of the story that Jesus is about to tell is to expose this reality that you can have exactly the right answer but still be dead wrong because your heart is not in the right place. And that's exactly what this whole parable that we're about to read is all about. So picking it up in verse, latter half of verse 29, in reply, Jesus said this. Again, the question was, and who is my neighbor? And this is what Jesus says. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where this man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and and, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I, I, I love this parable. It's one of my favorites in the, whole, uh, in the whole Bible. And it's such a brilliant answer from Jesus. Jesus is just decoding all of the intentions of this man's heart, cutting straight through all the religious jargon and getting straight to the heart of the matter. And here's the context of this whole parable. Um, and those, if, you're a, if you're a parent, I think you can really relate to this. Um, my, my daughter, we've been having a great time together during this quarantine. We've been spending way more time together. And, it, and in that sense, this time has been really sweet. But um, every night, if you're a parent, you know what this is all about. It's time to clean up toys. And every single night, it's a huge fight uh, because it... Isabel, like a typical eight-year-old girl, doesn't want to clean up her room before she goes to bed. And so every single time, it's like we're sort of pulling teeth. Um, but eventually, she breaks down. My will turns out, she's strong will, but my will and Grace's will is stronger than hers. And uh, so she ends up cleaning up her toys. But she'll do it um, with this nasty attitude where she'll pick up the toys and she'll shove them in her little bins and then shove the bins into the storage unit, um, that's in her room. And it's just the, the, she's doing the right thing, but she's got totally the wrong heart and attitude about it. Now, uh, I should tell you that, that half the time or more than half the time, she does an amazing job and she's got a right heart and she's an amazing little woman of God. She, we are so cherish her as our daughter, but, um, as I'm sure you are aware there are times where our kiddos do not have like the best of, of heart or intentions. And so um, I think that maybe gives a little bit of a window into what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying it's possible to be doing the right things, but to have the wrong heart about it. Um, and this is what the law expert who's testing Jesus is doing with the Shema. He's saying, okay, okay, yeah, love God and love my neighbor. And I've already loved this person. I've already loved that person. Haven't I already done my part? in our world to love my neighbor. And he's sort of passively agreeing to the the sentiment of the scripture, but he's not really excited about it and his heart's not really in it. And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you might know where to turn in your Bible uh, to, to know the truth about the greatest command, but you're totally missing the plot and you're totally missing the story. And as Oregon is slowly reopening and carefully reopening, this is an important time in our lives, in our 
city is filled with neighbors. Our world is filled with neighbors who Jesus loves and who are in desperate need of that love. And as we step into this moment, this is what I'm praying for our church. I'm praying constantly um, through 24-7 prayer. And I'm just praying all the time for you guys. And I'm praying for our church that this would be our response, that, that, the, right, that the, the right things would matter to us. We would plant our flags in the right places and that we would stay focused on Jesus' call for us, that we get the heart of Jesus for our neighbor right. That's the, that's the cry of our leadership team's heart. So we don't, we're not loving God to earn credit. We're not loving our neighbor to get credit or to justify ourselves or to pacify some sort of guilt that we have or to, out of a sense of duty, we love because he first loved us, 1 John 4. And uh, we are simply responding to the love of God. And that really is the heart of it. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the story of God, um, to understand this, we have to go back a bit. So um, the story of God opens with the God of Eden, the Garden of Eden, and God is preparing Eden for humans to enjoy his divine hospitality. He's setting the whole thing up for us to thrive and to flourish in relationship uh, with him. And this whole thing is an act marked by love because um, the scripture teaches that, um, that God foreknew that Jesus would end up um, going and sacrifice his life on the cross before the foundations of the world, meaning that he knew of our eventual fall and what it would cost him, but out of, because of his rich love for us, he created us anyway. So he set up Adam and Eve to in the garden with tons of freedom and, and in, in this perfect love relationship with him, uh, and nothing but thriving and flourishing and um, peace for his people. That's what God had in mind from the very beginning. Not because he had to, but because of his just great love um, that he's just like filled with and emanating with. And that is who God is. And my hope as I'm, as I'm sharing this with you, my hope is that you have experienced the love of Jesus for yourself and that this isn't just like a conversation about theory for you, but, it's, but you have known and experienced the love of Jesus. Um, and then as the story continues, um, Adam and Eve, right, they, they, they eat the fruit and rather than trusting in, 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 in the Lord and obeying him, they, they decide to rebel instead. Uh, but God, he doesn't just leave us to figure out our mess for ourselves. He comes to us like a good father comes to his kids. And he covers our shame and he shows us mercy like the Samaritan showed the man in our story mercy. He is the God of mercy. That's who he is. He cursed the serpent and then he offers the hope of redemption in Genesis chapter three that one day he would make things right by bringing redemption. He, would, he took it upon himself to rescue and redeem humanity. Again, not because he had to, but because he was compelled to by his great love for us. And the end of uh, Genesis, the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50, the story of God's redemption sort of continues there, that despite evil things are, are happening uh, to us, he takes things that are broken and that are evil and he uses them for his good. This is one of the primary threads of the entire scriptures. The story of Exodus continues with uh, the story of God's, God rescuing his people out of his love, not because he was obligated, but because he has this great love for his people. At great personal expense to himself, he is um, taking action 
to rescue and to love his people. So while the God of rescue is rescuing his people, he shows incredible loving patience to his people as well. Uh, After a few days on their own, his people just started worshiping other gods within a couple of weeks of them being delivered from the land of Egypt. And when, it com- when he comes to his people again, he discloses his heart and his name. Instead of abandoning their, them there in the desert, he instead comes to them and shows them his glory. And when he does, and when he discloses who he is, and when he shows Israel his glory, he's not a list of like propositional statements. He's not just an ethereal force in the universe. He is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Um, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness and evil and sin. Like this, this is the God uh, of the scriptures and this is who he is. So you can, can you start to begin to see how he's coming to us as people right now in the time of coronavirus. He is coming to us in his love. He's not a definition on a page. He's not an ethereal force. He's coming to you as a personal, lavish, over-the-top, generous, loving God. But that's only the very beginning of this story of God's love. It continues in Psalm chapter 136, actually one of my favorite psalms in the whole scriptures. 37 times it repeats this phrase in one psalm, the steadfast love of God endures forever. The steadfast love of God endures forever. Now that word steadfast love um, in the Hebrew is the word chesed, chesed. And um, one of my favorite children's Bibles is written by this woman, Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she does an amazing job translating uh, this word chesed. And this is how she translates it. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that is the story of the scriptures. And this is what we see time and again with God and his character. He is to a fault, loving again and again. Solomon in Song of Songs gives us a metaphor that sort of deepens this picture of what the love of God really is like. Not only does he love us, he loves us like a husband loves his bride. It's this passionate, romantic, jealous love. And I know for a lot of us guys, that's a little bit uncomfortable to think of God like that, but that's really what the scripture says. He's depicting himself as our husband in that he loves us with this passion and this jealousy and this fire uh, that's never giving up. And uh, that's what the story of Song, and so- Song of Songs is. It's this intimate poetry about the nature of God's love for you. you if you haven't read that in a while, I suggest you go and, and read that book because it's so fascinating. It's amazing. But that, that same metaphor, a husband-wife metaphor, is deepens even further in the prophet Hosea. Now, Hosea lives, um, lives the story of a faithful husband to an unfaithful wife. So Hosea's wife cheats on him time and again. It's a tragic story. And time and again, Hosea goes out, finds her, and restores her to his house. That's the chesed of Yahweh. And when you're reading Hosea, by the way, it's like, oh my gosh, how could God ask Hosea to keep going after his unfaithful wife? And the point is, is that Hosea is a type of God, or he's demonstrating the heart of God that no matter how how much his people abandon him, rebel against him, and 
forgive the language, but whore themselves out to other gods and idols. He is always coming after his people because of his hased, his steadfast, never giving up love. That, my friends, is the love of God for you. And my dream and my hope is that you would live from that place, that secure place of knowing that God loves you. The prophets also tell the story of uh, the, the love of God being like adoption. And I know a lot of you um, in, our, in our church family have adopted your kiddos or in, you're in the process of adopting kids. And um, the love of God is like adoption. It's this really um, tangible expression. Adoption is this picture, of course, of, uh, of, of God taking the fatherless and bringing them into his own family. And this is a picture that I personally love so much. And at Riverbend, we're all about Jesus and following after him. And we're all about the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus was here to announce. The kingdom of God is synonymous with the family of God. So when you trust in Jesus, you are brought in, adopted into this this family of abundance where there's an inheritance in the kingdom of God and we're about his business and about his kingdom work. It's so beautiful. So again, the question is, have you experienced the love of Jesus like, like I'm talking about? Have you encountered the love of God and has it deeply impacted you? Have you experienced this love? Now, of course, all of this was a precursor to like the, the deepest expression of, of the love of God. The best, purest example of the love of God was expressed by Jesus on the cross. Like being incarnate as a human, that was humbling to Jesus. Being a servant, even more humbling. But taking our place in death as people who, um, uh, who, who sinned and rebelled against God and who were enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, that is completely unthinkable for the king to come and do. And yet he was completely undeserving of shame and judgment and death. He was completely innocent. But Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, because of the great love with which God loved us, quote, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, and it is by grace that you have been saved. Like that is the story of scripture coming to its culmination. That is the crux of this story. It's Jesus on the cross because he loves you. So again, not only that, this is again just the beginning that the scriptures say that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans chapter eight. Read that scripture if you're feeling a little bit down this week. And again, only the beginning. The closing image of the Bible is of a wedding feast, right? So this, uh, the, the prophet Hosea and Song of Songs like coming to its full um, ultimate fulfillment. The kingdom has come in its fullness. All of the brokenness, all of the evil, all of the sin, all of the death that has plagued this earth is completely over and done with and the new heaven and the new earth is here and at the center of the whole story is a wedding feast it's a table that god has prepared for his people to come and to enjoy his love and his divine hospitality that my friends is in a nutshell it's a very small nutshell the story of the scriptures so i hope you're starting to see the point like you need to i need to we all need to experience the love of Jesus for ourselves. We can talk about it, but we need to experience it. And this is why we sing stuff like uh, about the victory of God and about the, the relentless, reckless, never-ending love of God. It's, 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 uh, uh, when we sing that, what we're, what we're essentially saying is that the love of God is, is completely, it's it's said, it's completely unmetered. His love uh, means that he is willing to pay any price 
to have his relationship with us restored. And no one and nothing can stop the love of God. Um, now, thank you for going on that journey through the scriptures with me. I know that um, that maybe have been long, but honestly, that was the short rant. I could have gone way longer. And I always feel like, um, no matter how much I express uh, about the love of God for you, I always feel so inadequate, the words that I'm saying here, uh, by comparison to how incredible God's love truly, truly is. So I'm gonna pray for you in a minute that you would know and experience the love of God. If you haven't already, or even if you have, that you would get a deeper sense of God's love. There's always more. Um, the scriptures talk about the love of God being like a storehouse of, of, of love that's, that, that has no end to it. Um, and uh, that's, I think, the most important thing that any of us hear today. Um, and that, again, is going to inform um, our decision-making in the time of coronavirus, that we are loved people. Um, now, going back to the parable of the Good Samaritan for a moment, are you starting to see how far off the, quote, Bible expert was from the heart of God? He was saying, okay, all right, how many neighbors do I have to love? Like, and, and you could tell he's, he's maybe got the right idea, but he's completely missed the point. And I think that's why this is such an appropriate word for us today, because so many of us who've been around the, the, the scriptures, been around the church, been around Jesus for all of our lives, or at least the, most, the majority of it. And we talk about the love of God, but I don't know how much we have like, deeply internalized the love of God for us. Um, and that's what I'm, um, in, what I'm encouraging us to do today. Because when we've encountered the love of God, we're not stingy with the love of God for our neighbors. We're not, holding, we're not withholding of love to our neighbors. So um, for the Bible expert, you could tell he's just totally and completely lost the plot. Right? So 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so we know that we rely, we rely on the love that God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I love that. And you will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. In other words, we are the representatives of this love in our world right now in the time of coronavirus. And then, Verse 17, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has, no, has to do with punishment. But we love because he first loved us. So whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Right? And so, so our response to the love of God is to be a loving presence in our world. So when you, when you know that you love God by how you respond to the love of God, by carrying this love, um, this hased to your neighbor. And, and if you're anything like me, I think the, the people that I admire most in my life are the really loving and generous and kind people. And they, it, it seems to be almost like their knee-jerk gut reaction um, when someone is in need, when someone's in pain, when someone's hurting, or just in general in their life, they're just loving. And it just, it just 
comes out of them like it came out of Jesus. Um, and that's uh, a joy-filling and life-giving thing to be this kind of presence in our community. Um, so John, of course, he's the one who wrote the passage that I just read to you. He's an, uh, an apostle uh, of Jesus, one of the first 12, and he was deeply influenced by Jesus's upper room discourse where Jesus talks about this idea yet again. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I am loving you. Now you remain in my love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So again, this idea is full circle. It's coming full circle. We are loved by God and then we are um, filled with his love and sent out into our world as people of love. So the question is, how do we, how do we get this right? Like, how, do, how does this like, how do we get this right in our cultural moment? Now, I consider this to be one of the main jobs that I have as a pastor is to um, get people to understand the love of God for them and then also to motivate, encourage us to live in response to him. And in my years of doing this, uh, sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully, I think one of the main reasons we feel the need to sort of be withholding and to be maybe like the Bible expert in this story um, and not the Samaritan is because we're not secure ourselves in the love of Jesus for us. We're living for the attention or the affection or the affirmation of the people around us rather than living from the perfect love of God. So Jesus, Jesus didn't go to the cross because we knew that we would all perfectly respond to his love one day. No, Jesus went to the cross because he was secure in the love of the Father. And he says this in John 15, I just read it, remain in my love just as I have remained in his love. So the father loved Jesus perfectly and Jesus was just living in obedience to him. So when your primary identity as a person who follows after Jesus is a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God, you are secure in who you are to him and you're confident in your place in his kingdom. So you can be misunderstood and mistreated in culture or um, you can be sort of an outcast or on the margins of, your cult of culture or whatever, but you still are able to be this loving presence uh, because you are secure in, uh, in who you are. Um, because the world is not our hope. Like this moment, this cultural moment, like it, this represents what is still broken in the world around us. Coronavirus still re represents what is still wrong with the world around us. It's this natural evil that plagues the world and it's tragic. But our hope is not in this. Our hope is in the age to come that we have our eyes on the wedding feast. We have our attention fixed on this future reality that we believe is coming, hopefully really soon, that Jesus is exactly who he says he is so we can lo love from this secure place as the ones who have been loved so perfectly by Jesus. Hopefully that, that point is hitting home. So now you are free to give your loved self away to your neighbor. Now that you are um, filled up with the love of Jesus, you are free to give your love self away as a witness to your neighbor in hope that they would experience the love of God too. That is our motivation to use the word from before us, sort of our guiding principle as we make decisions leading forward um, in this time of coronavirus. We are people who are marked by this generous, never giving up love that Jesus has. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. So before we're done, 
I just have a couple of thoughts, a couple of reflections here. Um, notice how the Samaritans' actions follow the love of God from the story of the scriptures. And this is how we're being invited to love our neighbor as well. It's that the, the Samaritan had internalized and knew and understood what the love of God was all about. And so when the opportunity presented, himself, pre- presented itself, the Samaritan acted in response to the love of God. So just like Jesus loved us, we're intended to love one another. So here's what that is. It, it, it was a love that, it's a love that does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. Remember the Samaritans and uh, the Jews were at odds with each other. There was a lot of racial prejudice and discrimination going on. And yet the Samaritan is the one who rose up to genuinely love, even though he was a marginal, he was a part of a marginalized community. And I think that, um, man, there's so much that we could say on this. Um, there's, there's so much uh, hurt right now in our community. C- uh, coronavirus hasn't hit all societal classes and ethnic groups the same. Um, some people are uh, really insecure in their access to healthy food. Other people don't have access access to, to good health care, and I'm just talking about our local community. That's not to mention the developing world, and so we have this opportunity in this time to be like the Samaritan, to love our neighbor in an indiscriminate way. So remember the refugee, remember the immigrant. Um, number two, the Samaritan saw him. I love that. He saw him. The, the others um, who walked by the, the man who was on the side of the road, they didn't see him, or they sort of saw him, but they didn't take pity on him. But the Samaritan takes pity. It's a love that gives and bestows dignity and honor. And with the pace of life in the modern West prior to COVID-19, I think we can sometimes forget that um, there are 7.7 billion people on the planet who God loves with the same passion and the same desire and the same hased that he loves you with. And our responsibility, our call, our invitation, our command, Jesus says is the greatest command, is to follow in his footsteps and to show others what the love of Jesus is like. People get to encounter Jesus through you. Um, and that, is a, a, that love gives honor and, and dignity to people who maybe are very, very different from us. And again, that is characteristic of Jesus' love. And then number three, the Samaritan stopped and poured out oil and wine on his wounds, loaded, up, loaded him up on his donkey. So in other words, this is a love that goes out of its way. It's a love that goes out of its way. It's inconvenient, sometimes very messy, it's very time-consuming, and yet um, the Samaritan knew that this was his invitation, his command, was to care for this person who's lying on the side of the road, who had dignity and value made in the image of God. Number four, uh, second to last, it's a love that's messy. The Samaritan had to defile himself according to the ritual purity laws of the Old Testament, which we don't have time to get into today, um, but he was essentially making himself unclean in order to help out this man who had been robbed. And an equivalent in our culture would be doing something that's culturally taboo or maybe uh, shaming, embarrassing, or whatever in order uh, to really demonstrate the love of God. And that's what this man was willing to do, willing to do something that was embarrassing and brought shame on him in order to care for someone who is in deep need. And number five and lastly, it's a love that's generous. It's It's the kind of love that gives the shirt off your back. It's the giving your last dollar to help a friend rather than yourself kind of a love. 
And that is exactly what the Samaritan does, and that's exactly what, what he models to us. But of course, this is, again, zooming out is just us reflecting the very same love that God has. This is who he is, and this is what he does. Therefore, it's who we have become now that we follow after Jesus. And, um, and of course, Jesus' last word um, to the Samaritan, or excuse me, to the Bible expert at the end of this parable was, go and do Likewise, it's just that simple. Love is not just talk, love is action, and we are being called to this. So, going back to the very first question um, that we've been posing to our staff team, that we've been posing um, to our elder team, and we've just sort of been reflecting on how are we going to be remembered in the time of coronavirus? What is going to guide the decisions that we make? The future is uncertain. There's about a thousand different hypothetical scenarios that are being thrown at us. There's all kinds of opinions that are hitting you from all over the internet and your friends and your neighbors and your family and all of that. What is going to guide you? How are you going to make decisions? I, I submit to you, my, my prayer is that this self-giving, never giving up, generous love would guide your decision making. Um, my heart goes out to you. And if there's anyone uh, who's listening to this who could use an encouragement or could use help in any way, practical help, man, it's our, it's our honor to do that. So please reach out to us. You, you can go to our website and send us an email or reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But here we go. It's time for us to take action. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Father, we just thank you that we are the recipients of this love that is never-ending, never giving up. You are so good, Jesus. We're so eager um, to follow in your footsteps now. And we just pray that you would, you would teach us to, um, to rise up with this same kind of love and help us to move out of this place of um, maybe even um, feeling like um, we want to withhold love from others. God, show us what's going on inside of us and help us to live from this place, this deep identity that we are your children, we are your people, perfectly loved by you. So we are safe. We are able to go out into this world that's full of all kinds of stuff and be able to still love the way that you loved us, Jesus. Empower us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now take the bread and the cup and um, with your family or whoever you're with, maybe you're with your community, just take communion together and reflect on the love of Jesus. We're for you guys. Cannot wait to see you hopefully really soon. Grace and peace.
you're beautiful, so beautiful.